You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everybody? I hope you are well and things are groovy wherever this episode is meeting your ears. This one is a really fun episode, and it requires a little bit of explaining, so I'll go ahead and do that right now. It just shows you how weird the universe is and how you never know what might happen. So we have to rewind to years and years ago, back when I first started the podcast even. I first started the podcast, Scott Marcourt from Stringjoy reached out around episode 20 or so to come on. We hit it off. A bunch of other stuff happened, and we became business partners shortly thereafter in the new-ish company at the time, Stringjoy Guitar Strings. As you guys are all aware, that has become a huge part of what I do, so much, in fact, that I had to make an emergency flight to Nashville back in October to prepare for us getting into Sweetwater along with a product launch and a whole bunch of other stuff. It just was an all-hands-on-deck situation. So I flew to Nashville with a day's notice, worked as much as I possibly could with the team there, got everything nailed down, and I was flying back home. While I was waiting to board the plane, I noticed a lady kind of close-ish to me carrying a guitar case. And of course, like every guitar nerd, I immediately thought, now, what do you suppose is in that little case there? And basically didn't think much of it after that. I wasn't going to go interrupt anybody when we were about to board. But as fate would have it, I mistakenly looked at the letters wrong on my ticket and sat in a middle row seat next to the person carrying the guitar. And that person is Mo. That person is today's guest. Mo Tedder is a songwriter from Nashville. She is super, super cool. We had an incredible conversation on our way to Utah. Normally, I put my headphones on and kind of zone out, but no, Mo and I chatted basically the whole time because, of course, I asked her, did I see you carrying a guitar onto this plane? And, of course, we talked about the guitar, and we got into more of what she does musically, and it turns out she is doing some of the coolest stuff with music that you could possibly think of. She's helping people out of their darkest moments by helping them craft songs in a sort of therapeutic situation. Now, she's not a music therapist herself. We have had music therapists on the show before, and those were great episodes. This is a different thing that she does, and we get into it, and she gets into why and how and her life and all that stuff, and it was just a really, really great conversation. I got a lot of this on the plane, but I thought, you've got to come on the podcast. We've got to record this and let more people know about what you do. And yeah, that's the story of this episode. She's not some big celebrity yet, although I have a sneaking suspicion that that may change one of these days. But she is doing something so important and so cool. I just had to get her on to tell all of you about it. So that's the backstory to this episode. Let's dive in to the actual episode and I'll keep the business like micro microscopic. If you want to see me light a guitar pedal on fire, go to the Tone Mob YouTube channel. Okay, anyway, that's enough business. I've already got a long intro on this one. So give it up for Mo Tedder. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Mo Tedder. How's it going? 
going good. Happy to be here. I will say, whoops, I forgot to turn my heater off. Fixed. This is the first time I've met somebody on a plane and actually did a podcast with them. This is this is definitely a first for me. How about you? Same. Um, I think that's kind of just the definition of how my life has gone lately. Like <laughs> weird things happen, and then it's cool what turns out. So um, yeah, I'm open certainly. to new experiences. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we got to talking because, of course, I saw you get on the plane with a guitar. So immediately, I'm like, hmm, that's somebody I. I would like to talk to and then me being dumb and in a hurry and not paying attention i accidentally sat in the wrong seat and ended up sitting next to you i was supposed to be in the window seat across the aisle and uh somehow the i don't know the guy was like oh i'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and still sit in that window seat and i'm like well i guess that is my fault for uh messing this up but we started talking and uh Realize, I was like, hey, I saw you had a guitar, and that just kind of started the whole thing. And I realized you're doing something incredibly unique, at least as far as I'm aware. And I thought, you know, you should come on and tell the people about your story and what you're doing. So maybe before we get into where you're at now, we can mm -hmm. start with, you know, the backstory. When did you start playing? You know, how did all that happen? How did the obsession happen? Um, it happened rather quickly. I was a kid that was just drawn. I hyper-focused on a lot, um, mm -hmm. and I was drawn to guitar. So I was probably about eight or nine, and the people around me, they were telling me, like, oh, like, wait until you can fit your hand around the guitar. Like, it's important. And I'm like, no, I want to do it now. So mm -hmm. my dad ended up getting me an electric guitar, and they put me in music class. But I quickly got bored with that. Um, too slow sure. pace. So mm -hmm. I just um, started teaching myself. And um, my parents probably wanted to kill me because it was constantly, you know, just deadening chords. <laughs> and like, it was constant. It was awful. But also, it kind of just stuck throughout my whole entire life. I naturally gravitated to songwriting. And uh, to get through those big emotions, and that's something I didn't realize until like my twenties, which uh, what is kind of cool. It's full story for me, but I grew up playing in the church. That's where I got mm -hmm. my start. I got to um, be in the band. We got to travel to New York, Raleigh, and uh, I get to play in really cool places. So nice. forever grateful for that experience. And uh, yeah, and then moved to Nashville and got a whole new uh, view of things here. So. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you primarily, since you've been in Nashville, how long have you been in Nashville? I'm going on five years. Yeah. So you primarily, while you were there, were focusing on songwriting and collaboration and, and that, if, I'm, if I remember the story correctly, is that right? Yeah. So I moved to Nashville, actually not following music. I put music down for about four or five years um, mm -hmm. just because, you know, life happens and you listen to everybody else in society saying that this isn't a career for you, right? Um, sure. So I, I did the business route thing and quickly discovered that I was very miserable. So I moved to Nashville just to be closer to music and a really mm -hmm. weird part of events happened. And that's why I'm saying like, this has happened throughout my life where I just meet people on planes or, you know, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was, uh, 
just down on Broadway, you know, what everybody does when you come to Ma- Nashville, move to Nashville. Like, I don't know where else music is. So I just mm-hmm. spent a lot of time on Broadway, a lot of time drinking, you know, as you do on Broadway. And uh, I met one of the singers that was playing on stage and it just happened events. I was in between job interviews and I just popped into the same bar because the uh, bartender was very friendly. And uh, it was like the third time meeting this woman that was performing and um, I'm like, striking up conversation, everything. She was going through a hard time, broke up with her boyfriend. I was like, hey, if you need a place to crash, I have a couch. Right. And that night she walked in and she sang all the guitars that I have. And she's like, do you play? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. And then uh, I had my notebook that I was, I write songs in on the table and she just opened it up and me being a little bit more shy at first. I'm like, oh my goodness. And uh, she's like, wait, do you write? And I was like, yeah. So we ended up staying up until like 5 a.m. writing songs. (laughs) And like, this is my second or third week actually living in Nashville. And I'm like, well, this, and she, she just spoke encouragement into me, into my Mm -hmm. life and writing. And she's like, Hey man, you really have a gift. And I was like, you know, nobody really acknowledged that. I came from a family that is not musically based at all, Mm -hmm. sports only. Um, that's how we connected. So um, weird turn of events that got me into writing. And then it kind of was off to the races at that point. And I was back in 2018. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I know that look that works differently in Nashville in general than pretty much anywhere else in the world. And I've actually had, you know, I'll meet people and they'll be like, oh, you go to Nashville a lot. I'm like, yeah, but I'm just like sweating in a shop. It's not, <laughs> it's not what it sounds like. And even other musicians from other parts of the country, they're like, I hear that like t- 10 people get together and write songs. And like, like I think so. I, I hear about that sometimes. And I don't think that happens anywhere else in, in the world, to be honest, at least not as far as I'm aware. What does that actually look like, you know, week to week or session to session? Yeah, um, it's definitely different here than anywhere else. I'm not sure about L.A. I think L.A., you're getting up to that 10 and 15 range. But here mm-hmm. it's usually like three to four. If you have a whole bunch of like really good buddies, close knit, you can get up in higher numbers. And this is just my experience too. Um, but yeah, it's a co-writing city for sure. Um, and I think that's that's what got me into it because I don't mm-hmm. like writing alone. Like I, I write alone, like poetry, like super, you know, um, out there. But as far as like writing songs, I love writing with other people for me the fact that I love stories. And getting to be a part of somebody else's story and write that right. is amazing. But, um, yeah, we look like three or four people at the max in a room that I enjoy writing with just because you have everybody's energy. Um, everybody has a opinion, you know, it's right. how people uh, <laughs> throw their opinion out a lot. And <laughs> so it, it is a adjustment sometimes, but I mean, there was a year that I was writing two to three sessions a day, five, six days a week. Wow. Um, I wouldn't necessarily encourage that for the fact that, I mean, it was more quality than quantity. And it's like, you know, you'd, you'd have those rights where you're writing with your best friend and you try something awesome and you're like, yes. And that gives you energy to make it through the rest of the rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, as I got, grew up in town, um, 
I mean, I, I cut it down to like two or three songs um, for professional, like radio reasons or for artistic right. reasons. So, got it. Does that answer the question? Well, that, I think so. Okay. That gave us a decent summary. So, how did you discover? I mean, I really wanted to get into what you're doing with your business and, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing with, I, I don't even really know what to call it. Like, how do you, how do you describe what you do uh, with patients and people that you work with? And how did you get into that? Again, a weird situation. Um, I uh, kind of, I mean, it, it more just like it worked for me. So I wanted to share that gift with everyone I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen music has saved my life wholly. Um, I will say that through everything I went through, um, as a kid and even into adulthood. And I mean, I would say I just show up as a, as a person in the room that has a ability to put melody to words and mm-hmm. kind of act as a witness to somebody's like most vulnerable spot of their lives. Yeah. Um, cause at the end of the day, when we're in that hard spot, it isn't about, um, finding the right words. It isn't about, um, I don't know. It isn't about perfection. It's just about sitting with that person in that space and holding space for them to emote whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what I do is I get, I get to listen to what they say and actually create a piece of art from that. Yeah. And they so actually we should back a up a little bit because uh, we, we talked for like several hours and the listeners are probably going, wait, I'm still confused. So like you will go into a situation usually with the therapist, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and there will be somebody there having a difficult time for one reason or another, whether that's just straight up mental uh, illness, addiction, whatever the case may be. And you'll actually mm-hmm. sit there and create a song with that person. I, right? I, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that probably needed to be stated before we went too, too yeah, much further down yeah, the rabbit hole. Yeah, I apologize for that. Sometimes I get yeah. tangenty. Uh, yeah, well, again, like we said, like we talked for like two, out, two three hours. So we, yeah. I already knew what you were talking about. And I was like, I was just ready to go with it. And like, wait, there's other people listening to this conversation. So yeah. Let's um, back up. Yeah, but I mean, how I got into it, I naturally, like I said, I write about those big feelings in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have since nine at nine, I was writing about losing my grandpa. Um, and I don't know the song, but I remember the, um, the moment that I'm sitting with a guitar and just writing words down. And, um, through my journey dealing with addiction, mental illness, um, I have leaned more into that, um, just due to the fact that the melody created a comfort zone for me and then right. being able to put my story and tell my story um, is huge in anybody's journey. So being able to have my song and my lyrics combined, uh, it was just a really cool moment. And from that space, I interviewed with a company and they're like, hey, I have an idea. Would you like to run a songwriting workshop? And I was like, okay, not sure how it was going to look. And then they right. just dropped me in and... Uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is my sweet spot. And I wrote with, um, there's 30 people in that group, all experienced very um, traumatic events. And we ended up writing a song in almost an hour and a half, which doesn't happen often. Um, It was one of the coolest experiences I've ever gotten to be a part of. 
and it continues to happen. Sometimes I write with 30 people. Sometimes I write with two in couples. Sometimes I write just individual uh, with individuals. And uh, it's really not about, you know, trying to write that next number one. It's more about just having that person feel seen in that moment. Mm-hmm. And being able to say, hey, this is my story in a most beautiful and poetic way. And right. it's mostly them doing the work. I just get to be a, a small part of it, witness it, and catch the words that come out. So mm-hmm. um, super plus. Yeah. So do you, is it something where the, the person actually, you like record the performance or do you take it and kind of produce it on your own and then give it back to them or, or does it change? Like, what does that usually look like? So at first, like I was really kind of, I honed in on, okay, we got to finish this song and like have the basics hammered down. Like the lyrics, we may have one or two lines I might have to tweak just for melodic purposes. And then I'd go out and produce it professionally or have one of my guys produce for me and I sing on it. And then what we do is we send it back to them. That's so cool. So I send them a lyric sheet and then also the song with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is super cool. And I, uh, it, yeah. I feel like the, after the session's over, that then gives somebody something else to look forward to because they're they're with you because something bad has happened mm-hmm. clearly but i can't imagine too many other situations where that would occur but then after it's over it could probably feel a little bit like oh okay now what mm-hmm. but then if you're going to take it and do the work with it and then bring it back to them it gives them something like, okay i'm gonna be back in i don't know how what the time frame is a week or Month. whatever it is yeah and then that gives them another little nugget, you know, when it doesn't seem like there probably is any other. And then that gets them to the next thing and the next thing. And it's just like that first step in the, in the process. It's really amazing. And that, that kind of goes to show like music has been a part of almost everyone's life, whether it be like traditional music, like we hear on the radio or just like your heart creates a beat on its own without us even trying. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like when we watch movies or um, when we think of that person that we really loved or we really lost, we have that song connected. And the song acts as like an anchor that will take us right back to that moment Mm -hmm. in which what my job is to create that space and that moment for people. So whenever they need that anchor to remember all of the healing they've gone through, then that's that song can create that anchor. And it's just Mm -hmm. like going through like had a bad day throw the song on and it, it's, a, it's a huge coping skill for people. Um, and a lot of people use music as coping skills without even knowing it. You know, we naturally right. lean towards the things we want to feel. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. It's, and it's, and it means different things to different people too. This mm-hmm. is, yeah, I think we talked about this on the plane a little bit. I'm like, when I'm happy, I'm listening to like, this seemingly angriest music that <laughs> so I'm just like, yeah, oh yeah. And I, and people, I remember actually, I don't remember if we talked about this on the plane, but my future father-in-law, when I was dating my wife, uh, she, he saw me driving around town, just doing errands or whatever. And I, I don't know which band I was listening to, but I was listening to some sort of metalcore band and I was just like screaming in the truck and like, drumming on the steering wheel and and then like he went home and 
talked to my wife and was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> like, he was like screaming in his truck while driving around town. I had no idea. I didn't care. I didn't care if anybody saw me, but that's when I'm my happiest is when I'm listening to angry music that might scare other people. So I guess different, different strokes for different folks, I suppose. Oh, definitely. I'm a sad song girl, for real. Like, if I'm happy, I love sad I'm songs, probably yeah. listening to some depressing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it goes. It's okay, though, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I love sad songs, too, but they do make me sad. So I, I cry. I cry easy. I cry easy. I cry often, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Just, I love uh, that. I love. <laughs> I mean, Pixar movies. You name it. It'll get me going. It's not. It's not tough. Okay. I, I am I the only person that cries more when a dog dies than when a human does? No, like, I think that's pretty normal. I, I think that's pretty common. The emotional co- connection with dogs in movies is just too much. I, I I don't usually have that. Right. I'm usually kind of. I'm I'm okay with a few exceptions and like well for instance like my wife's like one day i'm gonna get you to watch marley and me and i'm like no, no. you're not I, I already know what happens i don't know watching that movie Mm-mm. Mm-mm. i'll cry the whole time why 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 do i need that like, <laughs> i'll cry over something else i don't know i know i know that movie will mess me up i already know what happens I'm not go I'm not gonna oh, watch it's it. awful nope it's awful it's don't put yourself terrible. through that no i don't know <laughs> It's one thing if you watch it when it comes out and you didn't know, but I'm not going to willingly put myself there. Yeah. That and Revolutionary Road. I'm never going to watch Revolutionary Road again either. I don't know if you've seen that either. But it's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different kinds of depressing, but uh, yeah. depressing all the same. I have to say, all of my favorite movies, like A Star is Born. Um, I like that one. Greatest Showman. Which, like, mm-hmm. just very sad movies. Yeah. Yeah. I do like some sad movies, but you know, some some I just, you know, I can deal with once and I just I don't need to I don't need to deal with that again. That makes yeah. sense. Hi, I'm Vincent and I'm here to talk about the Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my Pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike 
some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Nice. I've <laughs> kind of in this weird, sort of weird situation. It's 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 great most of the time where I have a big family that all lives fairly close by. When I was born, I had this sounds weird. But I had eleven parents, great grandparents, grandparents like eleven total were alive while I was when I was born. That is truly impressive. <laughs> it's pretty wild, and most of them lived pretty close by. Uh, not all of them, but most of them did. Uh, so I experienced a lot of death really young because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, great grandpa died, you know, like, you know, it was just like, and, it, and I knew these people, like I mowed my great grandpa's lawn till I was like, t- till he passed when I was like, I don't know, was 14 or 15, something like that. Maybe I was a little older. So I, I really knew him. You know, we would sit and talk and watch John Wayne movies. And like, I think a lot of people don't get that time with those people. So it's like, that's the good side. But the, the rough side is you lose them. And so having a lot of that growing up has kind of made me. I didn't realize that that wasn't normal for a long time. I thought everybody experienced a lot of death and saw a lot of people die, like actually right there. And most people don't. I, I'm starting starting to realize it's it's a I don't know where I was going with that. See, you know, these things just happen on the podcast. Yeah, right? it's it's all good. <laughs> no, it, it's weird how we how we uh, we think things are normal and then we grow up and then we're like, oh, that wasn't normal. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that on, on the ride. What like what kind of things in your life were that way? Oh Lord, I. Uh... I mean, I grew up in a very, very religious community, um, mm-hmm. ultra religious. So a lot of the things, like, we weren't really allowed to hug. It was more like a side hug deal. Mm. Um, you know, women weren't expected. Well, women aren't allowed to be in leadership roles. Um, a man had to step in that as soon as, like, boys turned, like, I think 15 or 16. Like, women couldn't teach them anymore um oh so i still learned from my mom so that's kind of weird 
All right. It, but it was just very different. Um, mm-hmm. I I grew up like man is the head of the household, right? Um, Word goes in church a lot, and like it's normal to a degree in the South. But like once you get beyond the South, like go to cities and everything, like a lot of the things I was raised in, I'm like, what? And there's a lot of things that come up now. Like whenever I step into leadership like positions, like when I lead these groups and there are men in the group, mm-hmm. like I get this, like, and it's not true, but that, that what was taught inside of me is like, I don't know, should I do this? Like, is this right? Mm. And it's not that like, I believe that anymore. Um, I think women have, you know, a great viewpoint to teach. Right. Sure. Um, but it's just, it's something that stuck with me. There's a lot of conditioning that stuck with me. And it's not that I dislike the way I was raised. It's just, there was a lot of pain that happened and there was a lot of good and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right. So it's like, I was taught a lot, but also I'm having to unteach myself. Um, but yeah, I'm thankful for the way I was raised and I don't blame anybody for it, but it right. definitely caused me a lot of pain in um, probably in unexpected ways. I would yeah, imagine. yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I am uh, gay, and in my religion, absolutely not. I was raised saying like I was going to hell my whole entire life. I was going to be separated from my family forever. Um, I wouldn't be able to live eternally with them. So I remember like we, when I was probably like eight or nine, I always was scared to shower for the fact that I thought they were going to leave me behind. And it's just like, it was that thought process of like, that's kind of sad. Um, but I mean, I've, I've grown through a lot of it. Um, but that, that internal, truth again that I don't necessarily adhere to anymore that like I am bad I was born just bad so having to work through all of that and that kind of goes more into my story of um I I lean more into drugs and alcohol to try to fit in somewhere um and Mm -hmm. end all of that pain that I felt when I was a kid because I've never felt like I belonged like I didn't belong in my family I was different um, I didn't belong in the church. So, you know, I was just looking for a home anywhere and drugs and alcohol were what I stepped into. And it kind of really got off to the races when I moved to Nashville. So um, it got to the point where I just hated writing anymore and I hated life the way it was. So I know how to change. And that's kind of when I picked um, up writing for healing purposes. So, yeah. Was that more of a solitary thing? Like you were by yourself just trying to kind of escape or was it more of a, a social thing or, you know, Hey, every, we're all going out getting hammered and then it becomes <laughs> all the time, you know, like yeah. where, where all we do is go get hammered or was it more of a solitary thing that you just kind of you know, was, tried to medicate? Yeah. I, I would say it's, it was both um, completely and totally because it was just fun. Right. First time I tried cooking, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. until, you know, it was a social thing and we were doing it every single night. And then also when I was getting home, I was getting even worse. Um, mm. I would just drink to oblivion, right? Drink mm-hmm. until I blacked out and then I'd get up 
the next day and do it again. And it's just like what really kind of clicked in my head of like, ooh, this this isn't a good look. And it's like almost every story that like my buddies we were all talking and was like, man, you were so plastered, you don't even remember. Or waking up, right. and like I don't know how I got home, but my car's in the driveway. You know, it, it's just like that kind of behavior. It's just like it wasn't good, especially because it's like, I ain't trying to hurt nobody. Like, that's not who I am. Like I'm a softy and may not look like it presenting, but I really <laughs> am. Like, I care about people. I really mm-hmm. do. And it's just like drugs and alcohol made me a person. I wasn't like getting in fights. Just, just no good. You know? And it, it took time for me to kind of settle in, to be okay with who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody created that space for me to heal. And from like this, from that point on, it was just like, man, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to yeah. create space for people to heal. And whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. It can be, you know, like, dude, I just had a bad breakup. Let's talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. It, does, it doesn't yeah. have to be extreme for healing to happen. True, true. I mean, everybody's dealing with something. And there's, you know, very different spectrums of what that looks like. You know, mm-hmm. that's not how you say that, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it just varies a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes I'm like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty all right. I'm pretty mentally healthy. And then I'll just think a little bit closer and I'm like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean you don't got things you need to pay attention to, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like. You do that, that's not great. You do that, that's not great. Not to try to beat myself up, but some level of self-awareness has to be there or else you do just keep doing the things that are hurting you or those around you over and over again. Did you have a a moment that kind of like, hey, Mo, you do this again, you might die or like this, you, you almost killed this person or it's like something that really shook you up or was it just like a culmination of like, you know what, this is enough. Um, I, there was like, so I hold, I hold my health, myself to high standards, right? Um, I was very functional, right? I, I could could live and hold a job. Um, that's what I tell myself. And then, um, I, I used to say like, I'll never drink on a job, right? Never. Mm -hmm. And when that started happening and then driving started happening more, Mm-hmm. Um, then like, I'm okay to hurt myself, but I'm not okay to hurt other people. Right. <laughs> Which is right. messed up. You know, we, we've, uh, moved I mean, past that moment, but like, I'm okay to be miserable, but I ain't trying to destroy somebody else's life because of the position right. and the job I was in. Like that's, it was possible. Not that I did that, but that scared the living crap out of me. I was like, look, they hired me to help humans. And I, it wasn't in the current position I'm in, but they mm-hmm. hired me to help humans. And I couldn't make it through the day without shaking so bad. So I had to go home on lunch and drink. And it's just like, that's, it's just the pure suffering of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's soul suffering too. I always say of like I don't know if I believe in hell, but I sure was living in it for the right. last three years. Like of just 
constant suffering. And mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Hell, I wouldn't wish that on the devil. Like, it's just, it's awful. And that's what, it's why I'm drawn to people that are going through it, right? The only way mm-hmm. I keep what I have is by giving it away. So. That's got to be, not that I want to or want anybody to ever go through that, but to do what you do now, it almost like, it's probably a really weird way to say this, but from the people you're helping's perspective, it almost gives you some street cred, you know? It's like she, because they're like, because a lot of a lot of the, the mindset with people that are going through that is like, you don't know what I've been through, you don't understand, you don't know. And a lot of times that's true, but you can be like, well, actually (laughs) I've been, I've been in a similar situation before and somebody helped me. And now I'm trying to do that for you. And that I could imagine from their perspective that kind of being like, Oh, all right, I'll give her, I'll give her a chance. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I, I don't know. Is that accurate? Yeah. There's a, there's a healthy amount of self-disclosure that can go into what I do, right? Because ultimately mm-hmm. it's about them. But to let a person know they're not alone, and that somebody mm-hmm. else understands, um, is like kind of the greatest gift you can give somebody. And I, I tell everybody that's like newly sober and like they're talking about like, well, like I'm 34 and I haven't done any, like I haven't had a job in 10 years. I was like, Dude, you got a life degree. Like we, you've experienced to the extreme of life. Like we can literally do whatever you want. Like let's work together in this. Like you're not Mm -hmm. alone. Everybody started from this point. Right. And it's like at that point, there's different levels of lows. Right. There's people that like literally are living on the street, but um, yeah, yeah, it it is a, it's a really kind of cool moment to kind of just sit there with somebody and be like, I've been where you've been. Like, I'm here if you want to change. And ultimately, I can't make that decision for you. But, you know, whenever you're ready, I'll, I'll be the, here. That's the hardest part. I've I've had a small degree of experience with this. Very, very small, especially compared to you. And the people that really needed the help, if that's the saddest part, is when they don't want it. Because you're like, man, you're in a bad, you're in a bad way. But there's absolutely, you can't force anybody to do anything. You, you can't. And I think people sometimes think that you can, but you you can't if they don't want it. It's it's almost a waste of time, really, at the end yeah, of the day. For sure. I mean, and like, there's a fine line between, you know, enabling and forcing somebody, you know? <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to force you into rehab 20 times, you know? And they're just not ready. And like, there's a saying, like, it takes what it takes. You know, okay. and unfortunately, like there is a bleak outcome for addiction, right? Jail is mm-hmm. institution and death. And unfortunately, some people like they die because their suffering was so much that they didn't see another way out. And that's it's really sad to talk about. I've lost plenty of friends and I've, I've worked in like treatment and I've lost patients and clients and it's sad, but then you have those people that actually like they finally get it or they were here three years ago and now they care three years later because we planted a seed. Right. You know, it, it's right. like you never know where you're at in that process and that's up to the person, but it is, you know, some responsibility that people, sorry, 
some responsibility (laughs) of the people to be like, yo, I got you when you're ready, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a cool, cool moment that I get to sit in um, sometimes, you know, that that isn't always the case. Right. (laughs) Sure. Is there a, this is, it's probably a dumb question, but is there a typical, when it is, when it is a positive outcome, Mm -hmm. is there any pattern to what that looks like, or is it really different for everybody? Um, I would say there are communities of people out there that have pretty impressive outcomes if the people actually want it, mm-hmm. um, if they actually work for it. Um, but it kind of looks different for everybody. Um, yeah. What I did and what I continue to do is different than a lot of people. And I, I always say when I'm leading groups, um, not necessarily to songwriting, but like whatever works for you, go for it. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to figure that out. Whatever your answer it is to helping yourself, go for it. You know, this is a healing mm-hmm. process and it looks different for everybody, whether you're in addiction, mental health, right? Sometimes it's taking psychiatric meds go for it sometimes it's getting off psychiatric meds i'm not a doctor do what you need to do (laughs) but whatever works for you i'm here for it Mm -hmm. um no there isn't one path um i know there there's a group of people that is a simple solution to a very complex problem and uh i i really do um i've seen that work in my life but yeah Mm-hmm. So, so let's uh let's go into when when you were flying. I was flying from Nashville back home. Yeah, you were going, if I remember correctly, to Utah. I was. Is that right? And you were going there specific specifically to do this. Now, this seems like a pretty new concept. I know music therapy has been a thing, mm-hmm. but this that's a totally different thing. I've had music therapists on this podcast, and we went through some of the things that they do. Makes a lot of sense. I think it's super cool. But what you're doing, I've never heard of in any capacity. And apparently other people are seeing some value in it, too, because they're like, well, you need to come to Utah now to uh, hang out and do some of this. Yeah. Is How receptive has the addiction and mental health treatment community been to this seemingly kind of novel approach? So I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily new. Um, you see a lot of it with veterans. Um, there's okay. a lot of programs that offer like veterans like kind of a, a, a weekend retreat basically to write songs. This is, it isn't a new process, but my goal is to create that space for people that don't necessarily have gone to war. You know? mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to go... Um, with individuals that, you know, are experienced depression, you know, um, and it is a lot different from music therapy. Uh, I don't claim to be a music therapist. I'm purely just a songwriter that enjoys listening to stories and kind of guides that process. And that's how I, I spin it to everyone almost of like, Hey, look, this really did work for me. And it's kind of cool to get to share my story a little bit. And then also, I mean, the work speaks for itself. I didn't sell any of this. I kind of like stumbled into it with one company. And mm-hmm. within six months, I'm um, in Ashland, North Carolina, Utah, up in Ohio. Like this, and it's not necessarily me. Um, it's just the service that is provided. 
Yeah. You know? it, music is healing and uh, for people to be able to tell their story through that is kind of the very cool aspect because a lot of people like they go to therapy for a while or they go to these retreats, right? They have that emotional high, right? We've worked through a lot of stuff and feeling great, but now they hit a low after because mm-hmm. you have all of the support during that weekend. And that's where that tangible song, again, to the anchor point, can anchor them to that healing spot. It brings yeah. back all of those things that we worked on very subconsciously. We don't, we don't have to think about that. Music is uh, it's one of the most interesting things because I've I've heard people say, oh, I'm not really that into music. I don't know anything about music, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I believe that like people like you and I get hyper obsessed in one way or another with different facets of music. And it leads to jobs sometimes, which is interesting and fun. But I feel like people when they're like, I'm not that into music, I'm like. I, I think you're not quite thinking about this in it doesn't have to be your hobby, but I don't think people realize how much they're constantly surrounded by it or how how much their favorite movie would be different if the music wasn't the same. You know, would Star Wars even be that good if John Williams hadn't like wrote all that music for it? Yeah, it's debatable, right? It could be maybe a little questionable in some spots, but you, know, you get them horns going yeah. and it's a different thing. But do you have patients or people that you work with that kind of come at it with that attitude? Like, I don't really, I don't know anything about music. I don't care about music. Why do we want to do that? And then how do you break through that? Um, yes, completely and totally. Right. I'll set okay. across from like, you know, business owners, completely analytical minds. And it takes mm-hmm. a little bit more on my part to kind of get them to that point. Right. Um, but, I, I, I pitch it of, we're just going to have a conversation. And a lot of the places I work for and with, um, they have already been working through a little bit of therapy. Okay. So they're, they're there for a reason. And I kind of hone in on that. And it's like, because my brand, I am a writer and also a musician, right? So I can kind of connect with them on both sides. And I can get on their mm-hmm. level and be like, you know, cracking jokes. And just having a good time because at the end of the day, we're two people sharing experience together. So I try to take, you know, all of the pressure off the table and say, hey, we're just here. We're going to hang out for two and a half hours or so. And whatever comes of it comes. But like my job is to kind of sit here and kind of steer this conversation to like give you something to hold on to after this process. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had accountants in groups and she's like, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not like super creative. And I'm like, but you kind of are. And like she ends up going up <laughs> to the board and like correcting everything on the board. Like how right. verbiage and all of this, because it's something I very much am not great at, you know. And uh, I was like, look, everybody really does have a part in this. Um, no matter what your part is. And we say in the room without one person in the room that we're writing with, it wouldn't be the same song because your presence in the room does make a difference. No matter if you mm-hmm. contribute one word or five words, it like it's important that you're here with us right now. Yeah. Well, it it changes the whole vibe. So maybe they only did com- you know contribute one word or one like, hey, maybe we go up instead of down here. Like whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. 
it's the response to that that then impacts the rest of it. So, you know, and sometimes, sometimes people, I've had people that I've wrote songs with. It's like, they weren't really, you could tell they weren't really that into the thing. And they're just like, Hey, uh, what if we tried this? And then you try it and it's like, that's it. You didn't, you don't even care about this that much, but that's yeah. the thing that we, that we needed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. And then, <laughs> it's always a bass player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's a good musician good yeah, oh, yeah. yeah the, uh, that's just been my experience anyway. yeah it's like no they're just kind of back there do 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 and then they're like what if we tried the you know just to pause there you, oh that's the thing yeah and if that person hadn't been there the energy would have been different then that little contribution sometimes makes the whole song and yeah. you just never know what that might be mm-hmm and it's just like, you know, everybody does truly have a creative side. And as we get older, we start losing it for the people that aren't super indulging in like hobbies, tasks that are creative. We start to lose it as we get older and older, right? Mm-hmm. How many adults, if you sit them on, in the room and you're like, hey, draw a house. And they're like, oh, I'm not an artist. Like I could, if you were to give me a dollar for every person that said that, like, I would be a millionaire right now with how many rooms I've set. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, you don't have to put down your art. Like, we're all doing the best we can. But, like, a child would never say that, right? A child's right. just like... Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chaseless Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Blitz and Goodhertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossy, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. You know, squiggly lines, is that a house? I'm not really sure. I mean, you have kids, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, we get away from that as we get older and older. And then we go into jobs and like, there's no mistakes to be made, right? Everything has to be pretty, has to be perfect. But we also have that inner child in us that's just like, let's draw a squiggly line house, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of breaking into that of like, like you are an artist and it looks different for everybody. Like some people draw squiggly houses. Some people build them with a paper, (laughs) 
you know, go That's for true. it. Whatever, whatever your heart desires, I'm here for it. But it's mm-hmm. just like, it's encouraging that part of the person to come out. Um, of like, let's just play around. It's the goofy side that we all like love and laugh with, right? When we're comfortable with family. That's the side that is that creative and fun side that I try to tap in with everybody. And it's different. Mm-hmm. Each yeah. session, so yeah, well, and and you kind of have to, you have to nourish it and have to actively pursue it, or it's like a, it's just like exercising a muscle, mm-hmm. like it'll get weaker and weaker the less you use it, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. I know for me, even and the listeners have heard this a million times, but you know, whatever. Uh, for me, like I fell in love with pedals. I love pedals. I have so a ridiculous amount of guitar pedals. And I, I just, uh, I'm obsessed with them. And I would make all these little video demos and do all these things. And like, yeah, this is how this one works. And ooh, what chips in here? And like to the point where, you know, in 2021, I realized I was like, man, you're like, I kind of got bored with even that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's another overdrive. I've seen this before, you know, Oh, this one's kind of different, but you know, mostly the same as this one. And I got, it was getting kind of jaded, like a little bit mentally. And then I thought to myself, I was like, why did you get into all this stuff in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why did you like this fuzz pedal over that fuzz pedal? Why did you, why do you even know what that means? Why did you ever embark on this journey and now you're just kind of starting to fall out of it a little bit and i realized it was like oh well it's just because of music and so i just started making music to make music and not worrying about like i would pick i use a lot of pedals to make my weird stupid things that i do but like it's it became about the songs and about the sounds and less about what am i using it's more like what do i need to make this sound that i'm picturing up here and less about here's the thing and i'm going to show you what that thing does and yeah. so you, you know i have to, i've had to actively pursue that and and it was it was a little bit of a challenge at first but once it started flowing it felt way better and i've gained way more of an appreciation for doing what i do again you know and i'll still do demos i'll always do that kind of stuff but it became less about the gear and more about what the gear brings out of the people and mm-hmm. that was very refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I experienced the same thing, um, like on the writer's side um, mm-hmm. things. I'm like, oh, that would be a great hook. Let's go with that. And a lot of times it's like, this is this is a work of art. Like, and this is theirs. So my job is to make it sound good, right? And create their art. It's not, it's not mine, right? And a lot of All times right. I want it to be perfect. I was like, oh, this hook doesn't fall right. And, you know, the line here. And it's not that I've watched songs. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But it's that, like, dude, the song's good enough. And it's, it's, it is their piece of art. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I want to be, like, touching it and, like, tweaking it. Like, oh, this word would look good. And I'm just, like, hands off, you know. And just mm-hmm. disconnecting from my expectations of a session. I had a session where I, uh, I just sat playing the guitar and the dude started singing. And I just let it happen, you know. It wasn't about trying to catch it on record, right? You you hear it all the time more musicians. Like, as soon as you hit the record button, like, you know, the genius leaves the room (laughs) (laughs) for some reason. At least that's my experience, you know? Yes. (laughs) 
it, it, it was just about sitting in that moment with that person, you know, and taking it back to the basics of like, it's just music and it's your story. And that's the beauty. It's not mm-hmm. trying to make it perfection. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a event that I, I covered a long time ago when I was still trying to figure out like my role as a quote unquote media entity. I was trying to figure out like what, what kind of things do I want to cover? Like, how do I want to approach this? And there was a, a, a blog article that I I had a, somebody submit to my website and it was about play music on the porch day. And it was just that's all it was. It was just play music on like, hey, on this day, everybody who's participating, go play music on your porch. And it wasn't about recording it and even posting it to the social or anything like that. It was just like, go outside and play music. Just play your guitar, play your keyboard, sing, whatever it happens to be. I was like, what a beautiful thing. Really. I love like, what that. a beautiful thing. It's it, it really brings it back to what it's all about. Recording's amazing. I love being in the recording studio. I absolutely love that process. I love it. But at the end of the day, like that's not how how or why the guitar was invented. <laughs> it was it wasn't. It was just to be experienced by the player and whoever happened to be within, you know, the the immediate vicinity and that was it. Yeah. It's um it's kind of a primal thing, not the, not the guitar specifically, but music is clearly a primal thing. Like deep in humans for for whatever reason yeah well it's just like everything kind of does revolve around rhythm right and Mm -hmm. like even music is traced back to like before language right it's it's how people shared stories right and it's just Mm -hmm. like it's it's cool i'm constantly a student of music i love learning like i could nerd out over music all day. <laughs> <laughs> when you say that, do you mean it more from a theory perspective or from just a history perspective? Or yes, all of it. What do you what do you mean all, by that? All of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nice. I I am not a huge theories. I, I play uh, by ear all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and then when I hear something, I'm like, here's something cool that I've never heard before. We call them out of town chords here in Nashville. Um, I like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, how'd you play that? I was in a session the other day, and this dude's like all up the guitar, and I was like, can you teach me? Like, I'm just <laughs> constant. But the James um, Bond chord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I I just love learning. Um, if I were to learn theory, I'd probably dig that too. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I I I just. I don't know. I just make noise. I am terrible at theory too. I barely know what chord I'm playing 90% of the time. <laughs> People ask me, don't, how'd you do that? I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. We'll have to go back and look. Cause I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I just have to show people. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I just removed this finger on this chord and it sounds cool. And then I slid up the, <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. It's yeah, but, something. It's the dude I, I play with, with often that he plays, uh, lead, and I was like, I don't know what key it's in, but because <laughs> mm-hmm. all of my guitars are played full step down. Um, so oh, it, nice. it throws off a lot of people whenever I'm playing on stage. It can get interesting. You know, Nashville, everybody chips in as far as riding rounds. Like, so if somebody can solo over something, they will. Sure. So yeah. it throws people off. Yeah. I just got uh, my first eight string. So I'm trying to figure out like... Uh, you know, 
this chunky, okay. huge, fat neck. I'm like, ooh, I don't know what to do here, but it's fun. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, I never know what I'm doing. It's fine. And yeah, um, these things are all tuned. To, I don't even hardly know sometimes. There, there's some some semblance of uh, the same pattern as standard tuning, but it's like it's drop Q. I don't know what it is. It sounds Q. cool. <laughs> you drop something. Oh yeah, goodness! Exactly. <sighs> so we're getting kind of close to the end of the podcast, and I have a couple of classic questions that I ask uh, to wrap these things up. But before I do that, and we move on to Patreon and whatnot, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor. You know, talking to a couple thousand people right now. If you got anything you want to share with those people, or if you got anybody you want to shout out, or if you got anything you want to say, you know, you're standing in front of an audience right now, so uh, it's not just me. So whatever, whatever you want to say to a bunch of people right now, now's the time to do it. Um, I would say your story is your song, and that's really important to share with others. Nice. And whatever way to do that, uh-huh. it's important. So. Yeah, and I like if you that. want to follow me on socials, that's cool too. It's Mo Tatter cool. or Healing Heartstrings. So, all right, those links will be in the show notes, everybody. So you can find those wherever you're listening to those podcasts. Just click on that link, and it'll take you where you need to go. And if it doesn't, well, that means I screwed it up. So let me know. Um, all right, final questions. First one: What is your favorite boss pedal? And that'll be interesting since I know you primarily play acoustic. <laughs> This is gonna be funny. The tuner. Right, I'm ready. <laughs> no, that's that's the that's the most common answer, actually. <laughs> I mean, you, gotta you have can teach tuner. me some things, right? You gotta have a tuner. You got you got to. And I think I I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure the Boss tuner is the first pedal tuner. I think it was, or it definitely is the most widely used one. So it's a solid answer. Got to stay in tune. <laughs> it's a must. <laughs> Try some reverb on your acoustic sometime, though. It's real nice. Just, just a, I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. Get you an RV6 or something, and you might you might find some new inspiration. I'm, I'm going to have to get your actual number instead of your email. That's perfectly fine. We'll, fi- we'll figure that out. I'll send All that right. to you. <laughs> All right. Final question. And this is the one that gets a little dicey. This is the one where people really get, you know, it, it, it can get heated, but we'll see where it goes. What was your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, easy. 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 All right. And it doesn't okay. involve pineapples because oh, it's questionable for those people, you know? <laughs> it's going to have to be the chicken bacon, chicken bacon ranch pizza. Chicken bacon ranch. That's, a, it, that's a, not, not as common of an answer. It will change Almost. your life if you've never tried it. I've had chicken bacon ranch. I'm a little bit of a... I'm 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 coming slightly around. I'm a little bit anti-ranch, uh, so you know. I have a cheat code for you then. Oh, I'm ready. If you put Alfredo as the base instead uh, of the ranch, so it's Alfredo cheese, chicken, bacon. Now you're talking. Okay. I get yeah. I get it from mm-hmm. Domino's, the the handmade whatever, the deep crust mm-hmm. that crusts over the cheese. Mm-hmm. Alfredo sauce on the swap the ranch for Alfredo, chicken bacon Alfredo. I'm on board with that. I already know. I already know that's good. Okay, I like that. I mean, now, now we got to take this a couple steps further, just because you are in Nashville and I'm very familiar with the Nashville pizzas. 
So I, I need to implore you to visit a place called Smith and Lentz. Yeah, Smith and Lentz. It's called Smith and Lentz Brewing, and it's primarily it was a brewery primarily before uh, lockdown. Lockdown happened, and obviously they couldn't just you know it, nobody was going to the brewery, so they started making pizzas. Their pizzas are incredible. They the pizza is absolutely top notch, one of the best in Nashville. And then uh, there's another one called uh, oh, I always forget the name of this place. It's primarily an Italian restaurant. I think it's just called Napoli, actually, Napoli. or Napoli, however you say that. Um, I'll look it up and send it to you. But incredible pizzas. They have a four cheese pizza there that is just mind-blowingly good and their pasta best lasagna i've ever had so that and then of course five points pizza is the classic late night spot you probably course. yes gotta love five points <laughs> it's on every point of nashville <laughs> that's right <laughs> well thank you so much for hanging out this was a really good time i really enjoyed it and uh maybe we'll get into some some weirdness on the patreon section um, if, you, uh, if you have time all right <laughs> all right sounds good all right, everybody, for Mo, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I really kind of wish we would have had an easy way to just record on the plane because that would have been an epic podcast as well. That was really, really, really wonderful. I don't often get to have great conversations on planes. But at least we were able to recreate some of it here, and I'm so thankful that she came on and she's doing what she's doing. It's much needed in this crazy, chaotic world that we're living in. Additionally, if you want to hear more of this conversation, there's more over on Patreon. So if you want to support this podcast, you want to keep it going, you want to keep the lights on, literally help keep food on the table for my kids, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and for five bucks a month, you will get extra bonus episodes. If you don't like the new ad setup, for $3 a month, you can get the ad-free feed. But I'd recommend going ahead and getting those bonus episodes because you'll also get the ad-free feed if you go for that. And some of these conversations are just incredible. And Mo and I had a really fun one that I think you would really, really enjoy. So go check that out if you can. The links are in the show notes. And if you can't, I would just appreciate you telling somebody about it. Apparently, this crazy show was in the top 5% of podcasts that were shared on Spotify in 2022. Top 5% out of all the millions of podcasts, somehow this weird little guitar program was in the top 5% of shared shows. And I have to imagine that is due to me begging and pleading on most episodes for you to share it. And I thank you so much so much. If you've ever shared any portion of this with anybody, please, please do that. That is how this show keeps going. There are very, very little algorithmic pushes that podcasters have access to. As difficult as all the social ones and the YouTube algorithm is, and it's hard to crack and hard to figure out, at least there is something there that can push you to people that have never heard of you before. With podcasts, there isn't much of that at all still, even in 2022. So if you can share this with somebody, I would be so extremely grateful. Maybe we can crack into the top 2% next year. Who knows? Thank you so much to everyone who shared in 2022. I really appreciate it. All right. I will get out of your hair so you can get back to whatever it is you're doing, and I will talk to you 
on the internet very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.